The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Jim Shoemaker and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to today's program. It's good to have you on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Thanks for joining us. I certainly enjoyed uh, listening to Tool Talk Radio and following them. It's a great place for us to be. We thank you for being a part of our new time, 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. So welcome to Talk Money. I don't know if you read this recently, but New York Governor Andrew Andrew Cuomo said during one of his daily broadcasts that people, not God, are responsible for the fact that the COVID cases, COVID-19 cases in his state have plateaued. I'm sure you may have read that. I did. Was shocked. He was insistent that God didn't make things better. Man's work did. He said, and I quote, The number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do it. Faith did not do it. And destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering is the reason. And that's how it works. That's his comments, end of quote. And I'm not taking anything away from what he said or why he said it or from the heroes of this pandemic war. But if I could speak to the governor, I believe I would urge him to not dismiss the power of prayer and the ability of God to work in this crisis and in the ones we will face in the future. He, God, is our hope, and we will continue to pray for his mercy on our great nation. Andrew Cobo, I understand. I just wish you to give God credit for what God does. Well, today we're talking about some things that I think you will find to be extremely interesting, especially if you happen to be a caregiver. If you're a caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's disease, dementia, or another chronic health condition, even COVID-19, caregivers are often family members or friends of a person who needs care. That's kind of a normal, you know, not a big statement. But caregivers may manage everything from medication to getting someone dressed in the morning to doctor appointments, social events, even meals for that person they're giving the care. Caregiving is tough. My wife was my caregiver for quite some time. And I tell you what, I just felt for her because it's a serious, serious way of when you see somebody having to do that day in and day out. And this is tough times for caregivers. And that leads me to the second part of the program today, especially one of the most devastating events in a person's life. You go from being a caregiver to all of a sudden now you're dealing with the death of a spouse. When you feel incapable of dealing with life's routines, you're slammed with an avalanche of financial tasks that require immediate attention. Just what are the do's and the don'ts during this time of your life? Well, Rob Clement and David Rochester are here to give us some insight in developing and maintaining a care plan and to understand the do's and the don'ts when there is death in the family. And that's what today's program. Well, Rob, David, welcome to the program, sir. Good morning, Jim. It's good to be here at this new time spot. Well, yeah, it's a good time. We're glad to have you. And boy, I tell you what, I'm glad people are listening on a Saturday morning. It's always good to be part of a Saturday morning with anybody. Of course, we've been on the program many, many years. Well, 9 o'clock, it's just a new time at 10 o'clock, and we're glad to do that. Let's start with you, Rob. I want to talk about this thing because developing and maintaining a care plan, I think, gives balance to someone's life. And to the person to whom you're providing care, it kind of brings that conversation up to speed. And so many times we avoid it. So let me ask you first and foremost, what is a care plan? Well, I'm going to back it up just a little bit. And I always like to come out with my particular memory things. And it's the five P's. 
Proper planning prevents poor performance. So as a caregiver or a person that has an individual that you're looking to care for, you want to make sure you're properly prepared. That means that you've had a conversation with that individual and you are now getting a plan together on how to take care of that person. And the actual Center of Disease Control actually has come up with a My Care Plan, of which I believe we're going to talk about where they can get that, too. So that's the first thing, is to develop a plan. Okay, I understand that. So developing a plan. What is a care plan? Help me with that. Absolutely, yep. So it contains the following things. It contains health conditions. It's also going to talk about medication. It's going to also give a list of health care providers in there. Fourth, emergency contacts, and then a caregiver resource. So when you go through that process, you've got health conditions, medications, health care providers, emergency contacts, caregiver resources. What, what are you trying to put there? You talked about the five Ps, and I really like that. But now help me understand that when you're updating the care plan every year, when you, are you going through all five of these every year where you're working through each and every one of these to help the person know about their medications and talking with their doctor and all those things? What, what's actually going on there? Absolutely. Things change, as we know. As we go through, the, uh, through life, there are always things that are changing and impacting our life. So wherever you see something that's really just glaring that's a change, you're going to pick up on that. But you're also going to look for different conditions that the person may have experienced. And so all of these are going to be part of that constant vigilance that you're having to make sure that everything's up to date for each individual. So a care plan is knowing about the health conditions of the person that you're giving the care, knowing the medications, keeping a very accurate list of that, who are the health care providers, the emergency room contacts or emergency contacts, and caregiver resources. What do you have available to use? All right, I get that. You talked about the five Ps. Repeat those for everybody. Proper planning prevents poor performance. So proper planning is doing what you're doing exactly. right Exactly. When you get to all of those other five areas we've mentioned, then you're doing a great job of getting that strategy for caring for that person. All right, now how do you go about developing? Now that's the hard part because I understand what it is now, and I think our listening audience will gather some insight into that, but how do you develop a care plan? You know, if all of a sudden it's something you've been working for maybe three or four, five, six months or three or four, five, six years, and you're done, but all of a sudden if you have to start doing this, what are the things that you're doing? I want both of you guys to weigh in on this. So how do you develop a good, solid care plan? Start with the first thing, David. Okay. I mean, Rob, Rob. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, the first thing is you just get the vital information on a person, and you're looking for those vitals to be um, basically medical conditions. That, that was the first point that we spoke to earlier. And so you're looking at their medical history uh, and conditions, and you're getting those logged in uh, so that you've got a clear understanding of what that person's conditions are. And as you get that done, then you begin to look at, well, what are they taking as far as medications for that that particular ailment that that person may have. And another good resource, too, is you you have the doctors or healthcare professionals that you're talking with, and they are going to be bringing in uh, information to you, or maybe it's a healthcare provider that you're you're getting information, and all these are going to be collected on that My Healthcare Plan. All right, so let me talk to everybody about this My Healthcare Plan. That's a PDF that we're going to offer to everybody If you just simply go to our Facebook page and like us on Facebook, it's there. It's called Complete Care Plan or My Care Plan. It's a PDF. You're welcome to go there on our Facebook page and pick that up for you anytime. And uh, we've made it available to you. So it's um, My Care Plan. It's a PDF. And just go to the Facebook page, Shoemaker Financial, and you can get it there. Now, you're talking about start a conversation about care planning that that is that's that genesis of this whole process, and that is not an easy thing to do. David, I'm going to ask you this. David, if, if you're talking to the person, I mean, I can go back in your career and where you've had those tough conversations, and Rob has had those tough conversations. What has been your experience when you enter into a conversation with someone that has not been thinking about this and know they now have to put this on the top of their list? Well, again, I, I like... Uh, Rob's acronym, but preparing ahead of time is the first thing. 
It's most of the time we're reactive. We don't anticipate. It's hard to anticipate a stroke or, you know, taking on a virus we had never anticipated before. So preparing head and then knowing what Medicare covers, I think is important, particularly most of the time we're talking about people who are Medicare eligible. So they need to know what Medicare applies to, such as um, being able to manage chronic conditions, um, discussing their advanced care plans with that individual. A lot of this, again, is covered in the My Care Plan PDF. Um, it covers appointments for people with Alzheimer's, dementia, memory problems, things like that. So knowing what Medicare covers is really important to preparing for this. So you've got to be able to, so the caregiver has got to understand it's just not showing up with a meal. It's not helping get to the doctor's office. It's not just dressing this person they're doing. it. It's really thinking around the nine dots. It's really moving out and taking some initiative now, guys, that can be easy for some people and extremely difficult for some others, and especially if you're an elderly person caring for an elderly person. So, Rob, in your experience, what do you, I mean, when you know you've got somebody that's struggling with this, I mean, how do you help them move into that? What are some of the options that they need to be thinking about that they need to be thinking through the process, and what, what are you thinking with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because that happens Quite frequently, Quite frequently as, a, yes. as, as you can imagine. And the, uh, the, the key piece is, uh, is continuing a conversation with them so that they are more aware of what's going on with their loved one or the person that they're caring for. So, you know, you continue that conversation with, with them by just asking the, uh, the adverbs, okay, what, when, where, why, how, just the questions to them about that person that they're caring for. And it just brings out information. And, and, uh, and it's amazing by just asking questions and getting people in a conversation what information you can collect. I think that's incredibly important is just starting a conversation. I know that we've read that basically 84% of caregivers report that they could use more information on and, and help on caregiving topics especially so again let me offer this to our facebook page there is going to be a pdf posted for you our listeners complete care care plan it's called complete care plan and it one it really does it's got it comes from the u.s department of health and human services it is an excellent plan just to get you started it gets you the information it tells you what to think about and that's what we're trying to help you with this morning Literally, knowing the options that you have, you're overwhelmed with it. We understand that, especially to when you're talking about related to the safety at home, dealing with stress and, and managing the whole challenge. I mean, it's just a challenging thing that you've got to do. Nobody, nobody literally is waiting to do this. They're not holding their hand up and saying, hey, I'm looking forward, but they want to know some information and I think people with dementia or Alzheimer's are the toughest, and it creates stress. So the PDF is helpful. You guys are giving us some tremendous information. Let me ask you this, and, I, and I'm going to lead into both of you again. The benefits of a care plan, let's just make sure everybody's paying attention to that. I'm going to start with you, Rob, then go to you, David, because I want to hear from your practices, because you guys are dealing with this every day. What are some of the benefits? Now, I'm talking about initially, obviously, it's maybe getting some things done, but long-term benefits also. Well, the first thing that happens is uh, you'll see a, uh, a reduction in uh, going to places that can care for you, either emergency rooms or going into hospitals uh, or overall uh, going to the doctor. So the, the key is uh, in that preparedness part is that uh, – you now know uh, and you're aware of what to look out for, and you have got equipping tools to be able to help that particular person w- that has that health care need. So it's a supportive role that, uh, that you're playing, and uh, so that's a, that's a critical first step. So supportive role, I, I totally get that. I think that is probably, uh, you know, I think the anxiety, when we talk about anxiety and depression and all those things that come with being a caregiver – I can remember my wife when, when I was going through some pretty tough times medically that she would do everything she could to simply, I know, trying to make my quality of life better. And regardless of what she did, it didn't move it much. I mean, I've given her a tremendous amount of credit. But, I mean, just to cook a meal that I liked or that I was, 
you know, willing to say, oh, that it just didn't happen. It was a tough time. And that's my concern, the anxiety, the stress. You're talking about lowering some hospital visits, lowering some emergency. That helps. What other things, David, do you see? You know, I just go back to some personal experiences when my dad had a stroke at 89. Very healthy individual. He just got back from traveling. And all of a sudden, stroke on their 63rd wedding anniversary. And so immediately it was going to the hospital. But one thing that, that we did is we, we stayed very involved in conversations with the doctors, the nurses, all the caregivers. We took notebooks full of notes of all the things that were going on. A lot of people say, well, isn't that over? We wanted to know everything that was going on with our dad and then six years later with our mom. And so we were pretty much there 24-7 during that time frame. And then later when he was released from the hospital to a uh, facility, same type thing. As long as we could be there, there was somebody with them all the time. We had to make special plans because I work. I had a sister who was retired, had a mom who was 83 years old. You know, interestingly enough, and it's a little unusual these days, she was there from daylight till dark. We were there in the off times, but we were very, very uh, involved and communicated a lot with the caregivers. If it wasn't us, who was providing care. So a lot of communication was going on. And that is the hard part. So I guess for our listening audience, I want to help them understand, get help, get the family involved if you can. Don't try to shoulder all of this because it does create the anxiety, the the depression. It does begin to affect your personal life. So we try to tell everybody that we're talking to, don't put this whole harness on you. Don't try to drag this bunk, you know, this big wagon out the window. You've got to manage it. Get help, and getting help is that PDF that you guys were talking about. And I want to make sure everybody knows you can go to our Facebook page, Shoemaker Financials Facebook page, Complete Care Plan. Just simply click on it. It's a PDF. You're welcome to get it. I think it will help you. It's a it's a forum that gives you a tremendous amount of insight into what you need to have that's available to you, that you need to make sure you're available, that's available to you in this particular crisis in your life, this particular situation. So it's a PDF, Shoemaker Financial Facebook page. Go to it, get it, and uh, I hope you can use it and go, you know, be a part to decrease some of that anxiety and stress that goes with being a caregiver. Now, guys, I want to transition to, if we can, because we go from being a caregiver so a lot of times, it's the, one of those things that leads to the most devastating event in a person's life. It's the number one crisis in anybody's life, and that is, of course, the death of a spouse. When you feel incapable of dealing with life's routines, I mean, you think about all the stuff that we've been going on. I have been to, I have, I have had three dear friends to pass away in the last 45 days, none of them from COVID-19, so that's a blessing. But it's all those people. And did I get to go to the funeral? No. My wife did go to one uh, because she was a very close friend of ours. And the point is, this is a tough time. And just having several, multiple conversations with the husband during this time, you can tell he's being the man. But if you know him well enough, I can see the little chinks in the armor of what he's got to do. And I know when you feel incapable of all the things going on, you're slammed with an avalanche of financial tasks and require that require immediate attention. I want to give people some guidelines, David, some things to do if you're the surviving spouse. But before I get you to give me the do's, talk to me about the don'ts, okay? Sure, Jim. So, you know, I've, I've like yourself, been to a lot of funerals, dealt with a lot of uh, situations like this. And we get a lot of friends and, and uh, neighbors wanting to give advice. Well, maybe you should sell your house. You know, you've got a lot of memories here. Maybe you should move, move somewhere smaller. Here's some quick don'ts. Don't sell your house first thing. Give yourself some time to, to reestablish what your life is going to look like going forward. Uh, second thing is, is don't get in a hurry to give away money. I've seen people who, uh, a lot of times, they're, they could be widows or widowers who feel like, well, this is more money than I ever had when we were working because now we've got insurance payments. We've got a lot of money that, that has come in we weren't expecting. So I want to help this charity. I want to help this child, this grandchild, this this need. But you've got to take account before you do that. Don't get in a hurry to give away money. And don't immediately start selling your stocks and bonds or your investments. And then finally, and I think this is an interesting one, we think this of older people, but not always because now I'm older. 
don't get in a hurry to move in with your adult children. You know, I, I think uh, a lot of us go back to our grandparents and great-grandparents. Well, when something happened to granddad, what did grandmom do? She moved in with the family. Well, so that's where, as we've talked about earlier, preparing ahead, having these conversations, establishing what this is going to look like is much better to do ahead of time than at the time we're going through this emotion. You know, it's amazing because in the last two months, just I think with COVID-19, I've gotten more questions. We've gotten several questions from the, from the, from the show about what to do. And I think that's why we were wanting to talk about this. It's a very appropriate because in all seriousness, I think this is a time when it's uncharted waters for most people. And it's that time when they're emotionally involved, they're spiritually involved, they're financially involved, all of those things, all those emotions are going on and they're not real sure exactly what to do. And I think that's the hard part. I appreciate you saying kind of back up and take a little bit of a breather. Uh, I think that's important. I have a, I have someone right now that, her husband passed away last summer, and she did exactly that until just recently, and she's going to stay in the house. She's made a commitment, said, this is our house, but, and, and I think she's wise on some of this. She said, every time I walked in any room, he was there, and, and you know, and I saw that because, I mean, he was a hunter. He had stuff all over, you know, and she said, so I moved some of that out, kept some of it. I've actually established his room, his place. And it kind of, that's good. She said, but I'm renovating the rest of the house. I'm tearing walls out. I'm making it a house that's my house. And I think what she's doing, and she actually, in long conversations with her, you can see that that's becoming a turning point for her moving into the next. But she didn't do anything for nine months. And she hasn't started this yet. She's just beginning to develop the plans. And so what is she doing? She's asking counsel, what do you think? She's beginning to think through that. And so she's not doing it emotionally. She's thinking logically as she's preparing for the next phase of her life. Okay. Well, and you can't do that, Jim, immediately. When you're going through all the emotions and, you know, you're standing in line at the, at the funeral greeting hundreds of people, your mind's not on what you're going to be doing for the next few weeks or months. So you do have to give yourself time to acclimate. Well, and I think that's so, so critical, David. Thank you for mentioning that. Here's a question that we've got that I really want David and, and Rob to answer when we come back. And let me read it to you. And I quote this. This is from someone that wanted to get us an answer, get this answer. He says, what are your top tips for keeping both paper and digital files? Let me be a little more specific. My wife does not use a computer. Therefore, I keep hard copies for her on everything. So if I die first, she or our executor will be able to continue with our wishes. We're both about 70. We've been planning for this a long time, and I've discovered how com complex this task is. Help me out. Well, we're going to do that when we come back. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back to 10 o'clock Talk Money. Well, it's not quite 10 o'clock. It's almost 1030, but uh, hey, good to have you with us today. And it's a new program. It's uh, We're doing some things a little different. We're glad to have you. We've, of course, been on the program here at 9 o'clock, but I'm just glad to have you at 10 and good to be a part of the program. Look forward to answering your questions about finances because this is Talk Money. And the uh, bottom line is, it's all about you, our listeners. What do you need us to give you back as far as information and, of course, to keep you informed of what's happening economically and in the investment world on a weekly basis? Now, my guest is David Rochester and also Rob Clement. We're talking about we've been covering a caregiver. So you might want to go back and listen to the first half of the program if you're leaning into being a caregiver because it is an emotional, stressful, high-anxiety time, and you need some help. And I've talked about a PDF that you can get if you just simply go to our Facebook page, Shoemaker Financial Facebook, and look for the PDF that's there. It's yours. It's free. Click on it. Print it out. Use it. It gives you insight into do what we're talking about today. I mean, I'm looking at a copy of it here. It's got a ton 
of information just to get you started about advanced directives, power of attorney, your power of the your medical care power, literally what are the some of the important papers, what medications are you on, all those things that man is so important and you don't want to be waiting to do that. You want to do it prior to there being a need. This is called pre-planning. And Rob, you mentioned five P's earlier in the program. Let's go over them again. Absolutely. Proper planning prevents poor performance. And Jim, everybody likes to think of their legacy as being something that's going to be important to pass on to future generations. And I think this is a good place to springboard into where do you put that plan that we you just talked about it would be one of the things you could put into what we would call a legacy drawer. And in that drawer is going to be a, a number of things, but right up front and center, because you're going to go to that for that particular person's care plan and be able to pull that out. But there's going to be other important things that uh, you mentioned too, from a legal document standpoint. So in that legacy drawer, and this is answering that question of that person who wrote in and said, okay, what do I do? Give me some tips about, paper or digital files that I need to have. And so, caller, here's where you go. All right, let's go with that. You not build, caller. This came to us just uh, as a okay. question. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Okay, but here's we're not, what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to build a legacy file, find a drawer in your house. Let me make sure I read this again because I want everybody to hear the question. I thought it was a pertinent question about what we were talking about. It says, what are your top tips for keeping both paper and digital files? Let me be a little more specific. That's what he said. My wife does not use a computer. Now, does that sound like somebody that you might identify with? You've got one that is technically wild out, and the other one uses their iPhone. They can do a lot of stuff. They're just not in that game, you know? Yeah. Is that what? And, and even to the situation where a lot of people will have all of their passwords saved on their phone. <laughs> well, Jim, you know what happens yeah. if you lose your phone and it gets locked up like an iPhone, it has to be completely wiped. You yeah, and the that's passwords the, on there. That's a problem for somebody that's not digitally uh, more up-to-date. Well, let's start with you then, David. Let's go with that. So digitally not up-to-date. Of the right. three of us, okay, never mind. I will just move right on. You know, <laughs> forget that. I was gonna, I could point fingers or you could point right. whatever. Right. But I, let's start with that. You talk about, and, and Rob's mentioned this legacy drawer. Gathering the documents and this PDF that we're talking about that they can get on our Facebook page helps know what documents and get them started. So if you're the spouse, okay, and you've got into this situation, you're looking for all those things, talk, start, David. Tell me some of the first things they need to pick sure. up. Sure. So obviously a filing system where everything's kept. I would say some important documents that, that they need to know before death are Social Security numbers, Social Security statements, uh, those you know those are available. You can pull those off online now while while you're living. Birth certificates, marriage licenses, marriage certificates, military discharge papers. I mean, these are things we don't think about until we have to have them. They may be buried in the old you know photo album. From or you years don't ago. have a clue where they are. That's exactly right. So you know I, I know of people who've created kind of a I don't want to call it a treasure map, but a set of directions of where to go to find things. Could all be in one drawer, maybe in multiple places. Um, Many times our spouses don't know each other's company benefits. We just kind of let the person who's working there know that. Where do you keep your car titles? Maybe you need to keep those in the same type drawer. Your, as, as Rob mentioned earlier, your legal documents, powers of attorney. We, we're going to death, but there's a very good likelihood there will be documents needed beforehand, like a, a medical power of attorney or a financial power of attorney. So having a central location for all this, 401k statements, pension plans, it's a lot. And so being organized is going to help both before a death in the event of a major illness or catastrophe or after death when it comes time to collect all this data. It's a task is what you said. Rob, you said the legacy drawer. David says just be getting it all together. Now, help me out. I think this is important. You're talking about he's going he went through all those documents that people don't. I mean, it's really a major task to find that. We've had people go, I don't know where his medical, you know, military discharge papers are. I don't know where our, I thought this, our marriage certificate was here and it's not. Or, you know, I don't have a birth certificate. You know, you've had people like that, that we've had to spend quite a bit of time to help them get through that. So putting all this together in the legacy drawer, Rob, as you refer to it. But now help me with some things that we don't, 
that we don't think is important, but they're critically important, such as banking statements and the bills and checking account statements. Help me with that, because I know that's things that go, well, I know where that is. Well, you find out that sometimes they don't know what, especially if the spouse that is now the surviving spouse was not the financial spouse. Absolutely. And so often today, uh, people go uh, paperless, too, which ends up being a little bit more complexity in this whole situation. But for those people that have not gone paperless and they still get their bills or their bank statements is to help put all those things into one specific area so that it may be the uh, the tab on it may read something like monthly statements to look at. And that way that spouse knows or that caregiver knows to pull that file out to make sure that that's a, a sense of urgency. And and what David says is so true because uh, with, in his case with a father that all of a sudden on a on their anniversary has a, a condition that is life-threatening, it, you know, you, you need to have that beforehand. So building that drawer, and again, don't take this as something that you're just going to go out and five minutes get it all completed. So it's going to take some time to do this, but start early because that proper planning prevents poor performance. Yeah, that's a good point. This guy says, we've been planning our first to die or both to die transfer of property to our heirs for many years. So this guy's not a new person to this. He's been thinking through this. It's been a pondering thing. You know, he's going through. He says, I have discovered how complex it is to tag and file scanned paper and digital files in a best practices method for these expected pers- uh, these exact purposes. He says, I'm not referring to estate planning. I just want a one-page document that identifies the location of all the pertinent documents. Help me. Give me a tablet, a tabloid. Give me something. Is there a simple guide that can be used to simplify both the paperwork and the digital access to the locations of where everything is? Jim, I'll take that. There are some, there's multiple versions of it. We have a version uh, we would need to check to make sure it's up to date, but it is a, a document, it's a two or three page where you can fill it in. It's either you can do it as a fillable PDF or you can print it off and hand fill it. And it's called Guide to Important Documents. And it's where you keep important documents. Again, it could be in a central location, but it may not. There are some things you're not going to keep in a central location. You know, we'll see about putting that also on our Facebook page. That's a great point because not only we're talking about the complete care plan that we talked about earlier, that's a good document that could be put on the Facebook page or Shoemaker Financials Facebook. All right, guys, let me transition. I want to take a break here, just a second. And when we come back, I know there's a couple of other things that you want to make sure our listeners know that they have to put together. And then I'm going to go to Shannon Dyson. He's going to give us a CARE Act update, what's happening with the PPP, and uh, some things you need to be paying attention to. So we'll be back in just a second. We've got Rebecca Brazier. She's going to talk about a Mid-South History Moment It's one of the best parts of our programs, and you're going to enjoy it on Saturday mornings. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Though he is most famous for his very public part in the Scopes trial in Dayton, Tennessee, which concluded his life in 1925, William Jennings Bryan made a lasting impression on many aspects of American civil life and on the shape of our cultural landscape. Devout, populist, and progressive, Bryan was known as the Great Commoner for his faith in the collective wisdom of the American people. During his run for president in 1896, Bryan set the standard for future campaigns, delivering over 500 speeches across the nation while the other candidates stayed home and was the first presidential candidate to campaign in a car. Though he never won the presidency, his efforts were rewarded by his appointment as Secretary of State under President Wilson. After resigning from this post in 1915, Bryan remained publicly active and campaigned vigorously for women's suffrage, which was passed as a constitutional amendment five years later. The phrase, he kept the faith, is his epitaph. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. We've got a lot of things to cover. I've got David Rochester. We're going to go through the final few things that you need to be thinking about when you're putting together this final. If you're all of a sudden the surviving spouse, you've got to collect all those data, this data. It's difficult. Here's some things, some pointers that David's going to share with you that need, you need to just say, this I need to do. Sure. So one thing you'll need almost immediately after death is copies of death certificates. recommend you get 10 to 20 copies of those. Generally, the funeral director is going to help with that. Make sure you pay your bills on time. Don't, don't delay paying bills because you're going through this. Get help with it if you need to, but pay your bills so you don't incur any type of late charges. One thing that should happen pretty early on is notifying Medicare. If your spouse was 65 and up or you were 65 and up, Medicare needs to be notified. Don't cancel, or excuse me, cancel any club memberships that you no longer use or uh, magazine subscriptions that you don't need. Because they can pile up on you. That can Quickly. just come in like an avalanche. Quickly. So make sure that you do that. And I would say the next thing to consider is go ahead and start assessing your cash flow. Not immediately. Give yourself a little bit of time. But you need to know what your income and expenses look like because that's going to change if you are already retired and you're, you're post-Social uh, Security age, then there could be a change in your Social Security benefits. If you were both drawing each individually, then that may change as well. So you got to keep that in mind. Your income sources, pension incomes, Social Security incomes, incomes from your investments. And then one that I, that I didn't mean to necessarily get to last, but I think it's very important is go ahead and start applying for the collection of insurance benefits, life insurance benefits that your spouse may have owned uh, individually or through work. Many times there's company benefits that you would need to apply for. So check with the employer, see what's out there that you may not be aware of as a surviving spouse. Were there still benefits that were due to due to, uh, to your spouse? And that would now come to you. Uh, what about unused days off, medical leave, uh, family, uh, sick pay? Many times we have a flex, what we call a flexible spending account or a healthcare savings account. It's easily overlooked. Our spouse had it. We were using that to pay medical expenses, but guess what? That's money still that you own, so you need to collect that. And as I mentioned earlier, 401k benefits. Um, that's something, again, you would wanted to have planned ahead of time, knowing who the beneficiaries are, but now's the time to notify your employer, your investment uh, professionals about uh, accounts and benefits that should be due to you. You know, David, I, I just listening to you, I can sense how someone could feel incapable of dealing with this. This is so, I mean, it's, it is an avalanche. I used that term earlier of just a financial task, and it requires immediate. You can't just push this off. You can't say it's just going to go away. You need some help. There's the do's and the don'ts, and you were really very effective and help us with the do's and the don'ts. But now I need. I want everybody to listen to this. You need to make sure if you're prepared for this, fine. If you're not, be careful with where you seek counsel. You want to be careful that you're getting godly counsel. You want to be careful. I mean, ask your pastor, ask someone that you know that you can trust. You can call David if you'd like. But the point is, there's going to be a lot of people that want to help you at this point, and they are sincere about it, but they're not always giving you the best advice. Sure. I think, you know, a lot of times we talk about just during the day-to-day living, there's the water cooler talk. I heard so-and-so did this. Go to professionals. Have a CPA. If you don't, seek out one that's trustworthy. Um, But again, Having people that are on your side of the fence as you're dealing through this highly emotional, very complex time is very critical. Thank you, David. That's a perfect, wise counsel. I appreciate you being on the program today. That's David Rochester and Rob Clement. You can talk to them if you'd like to personally at 757-5757. Well, a frequent guest. He's been here quite a bit this past couple of weeks. And uh, again, I'm glad to have Shannon Dyson with us. Shannon, you're here to help us with the COVID-19 update from a business perspective. And so with most of the money in the second round of PBB, it's been distributed. Tell me about what's going on. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back. It's uh, It's been um, a lot of different things going on, a lot of things in the news that you hear about. You don't know if it's true or not, but basically the second round of PPP money was uh, distributed. And just to kind of take a quick step back, that money was meant for keeping people employed. Uh, you've got businesses that are hurting from this pandemic. Uh, and so the, the, the purpose of that payroll protection program uh, was say, hey, we know that you're not going to have business as usual. We know that revenue is not going to be coming in. We want to make sure uh, that you're allowed to or you're able to keep your employees there working 
Uh, of course, we've we've seen record unemployment still. So tell me with that. I mean, honestly, I've you know come back and said, why are we having record unemployment when we put in two point two or actually almost three trillion dollars now yeah. into the economy to keep people employed? Yeah, and and there are many people out there that will say, well, one of the one of the reasons possibly and one of the problems that we've seen with this program is that. A lot of the money went to publicly traded companies, um, and so you're talking over 175 publicly traded companies received PPP money, and it wasn't intended for them. Not intended for them. It's over 650 million dollars, billion. Uh, million, million that was given okay, to million. to okay. the larger companies, okay. um, and so that money was taken out. So you, there was a statistic that was run by Forbes, and they said that 80 percent of applicants. Uh, did not receive PPP funding through the first round of of the loan being given out. Eighty percent. Uh, so that eighty percent goes to the, those are small businesses, and those are the people that were not able to get their hands on the money to keep those people uh, employed. And so, yeah, th- there was uh, several things that were done, but there, you know, the second round of pun- funding has come through now. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of that. That those monies are going out, and what, one thing that we are seeing. Uh, with this next round is that the loan amounts are smaller. The average loan amounts are smaller. That could be an indication that uh, some smaller businesses are able to get their hands on that money. So when you're on the street, and I know you work with a lot of businesses here in the city and you're doing a lot of, you're discussing this, did they find this program? Now, I'm not talking about what the media may say, yeah. okay? I'm talking about would you discuss this with the people you, was this media, was this program good to them? Was it hard to get? Was it, you know, was it a major, you know, just unbelievably a task that they, you know, to work through? What did you find out as you talked with them? It's a mixed bag and a lot of frustration, I think, is the best way to uh, to talk about it. A lot of companies that, that we talk with, uh, they had banking relationships. They're smaller companies um, and they submitted applications on day one uh, when they said, put your PPP application in today they were there. They were online. They were submitting those applications. But they had banking relationships. They had banking relationships, the and they were still frustrated because a lot of them didn't get calls back or they didn't get responses. Uh, maybe their loan amounts weren't high enough or large enough uh, to to because these banks were making these decisions. I mean, they had to make their own decisions. The SBA is funding this money, but the SBA is not making the overall decision on who they are loaning this money to. So individual banks are making these decisions. Uh, so I think frustration, you know, just I, I thought I did everything right. I submitted my paperwork on time um, and I haven't heard back from my bank yet. And so I think that was the the overwhelming majority of people that I spoke with were frustrated. All right. So let me ask this question then. Now we know that there's some of these big companies that are giving the money back. Is that PR? <laughs> what What is it? Are they being requested you know, yeah. is there a request to give the money back or they are feeling the pressure? Well, one of the things that, um, that they made a part of the PPP program was an attestation that you would you are facing some sort of financial challenge due to the pandemic. Um, and so what happened when a lot of these publicly traded companies were able to get the money, Treasury uh, made a statement when the new round of PPP came in. I'm going to read it just so I don't get, I don't get right. it wrong. Okay. They said, it's unlikely that a public company with substantial market value and access to capital markets will be able to make the required certification in good faith, and such a company should be prepared to demonstrate to Small Business Administration upon request that the basis for its certification, according to the Treasury guidance released Thursday, any borrower that applied for a PPP loan prior to the issuance of the guidance and repays the loan in full by May 7th will be deemed to be in compliance with that certification. So basically what they're saying is... I'm glad you can explain We are me. going to come and ask, did you need this money? And you better be able to prove it. And if you think there's a problem there, you have until May 7th, which is tomorrow, which is last week or whatever. May 7th, yes. it's coming up. You have until then to return that money. Yeah. Okay, so that so can you hear audit maybe in the yeah in audit the, uh, and a lot of things the going on there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I guess we have to play hardball, but you can't deny the fact that this has been a tremendous impact to the economy, and it's been a good thing. But I still question. Yeah, something. well, you said you said is it is it uh, are they are they returning this money and just because they feel like they should? Or are they being pressured to? You know, after reading that statement, I would say there's a little bit of pressure on some of the larger companies, and you've already seen companies like Shake Shack and Ritz right. Chris. Uh, say, okay, hey, 
We Enough said. It. We we heard you loud and clear. We're returning the money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess that's a. I, I guess I'm trying to say the small business owner. This was, which is the you know a majority of our employees are small. You know, work for small businesses, and yet we're still seeing this number of people unemployed. Yeah. What are you finding with that? And another thing too, I think that that we, uh, I think that we're. I feel like we spent some time uh, talking about some negatives of the PPP. A couple of positive things is you, we talked about the really small employer, even the sole proprietor. The sole proprietors were able to get money through this program. Uh, they they set aside money specifically for sole proprietors, uh, but it's for small businesses. Um, it's it's tough, and you, and we're starting to see businesses reopen. Uh, but it's going to be a challenge for that revenue to be coming in like it was before this pandemic. And so any money that they were getting, I'm sure that it's been a godsend for them to be able to keep their businesses running. So um, the next part of this, so the next piece of this as we go through it, uh, is we got this loan. Uh, what are the provisions of the loan, and can I get this loan forgiven? And so that's, I think that's going to be the next the step that we look at. Well, let's talk about that. What about the forgiveness? What requirements do they have? I know there's a, I've heard the sad part about it is you hear, you're listening to the media, and you begin to say, okay, I understand it. Well, then you listen to somebody else say it, and it, I get a little confused. So now give me kind of what you have, what you understand, what you see, what you're working with about forgiveness. You know, it's it's so funny. All of these uh, different programs that come out, I think this is probably a consistent theme. We're not really sure. <laughs> we have some sort of guidance, but we're not exactly sure. If you look at it from a 30,000-foot view, uh, basically what they're saying is if you took out a loan uh, to pay your employees, the loans had to be based on your payroll and your benefits Uh, You can use that money, uh, and the number that they've put on it is if no more than 25%, so that means that 75% of your loan was actually spent on payroll and employee benefits, then your full loan can be forgiven. But if you spent more than 25% on things other than payroll and benefits, there's going to be a reduction uh, in the amount that you can have forgiven. The other part of that is you have to keep your workforce at the same levels that it was before. And so you can't have laid off workers. You cannot have reduced salaries in that time. So if you received PPP funding and you're wanting to get that loan forgiven, uh, you're not going to get the full loan forgiven if you have laid off workers or if you have reduced their salaries. And, there, and there's provisions. Of course, there's calculations of if you've, lo- if you've lost five employees, that's a percentage. You're not going to get this percent you know, forgiven. So Seek out a CPA or an accountant and that, make sure that can you help get you. Some wise counsel. Get some wise counsel on that because the, the next part of this is people took these loans thinking, okay, I'm going to get them forgiven. It's not automatic for most people. All right, let me shift a, bit, a little bit. We are now back to phase one of starting up the economy. And in Shelby County, we've got some guidelines. And honestly, I've read the guidelines and they are, I think, tough. I agree. They're, 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 if you and one of the things too is not readily you have to you have to seek them out. Yes, I think do. the guidelines, and so it's not just something that was sent to everybody. Everybody has a great understanding of what these guidelines are. They posted them on websites, All right? Which 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 is, a, which is which good. Is what which they should is, have done, right? right? But it's you've you've got to be seeking out this information, and, and there are some pretty pretty restrictive requirements. And I think the key is is do do you feel? I mean, this is a concern I have that most people are following these guidelines. I know there's been some incidents here in the city yeah. in the county where the public now has become the police. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's I mean, that's, kind that's, of shocking. T- that's tough. We, we were reading about a couple of uh, restaurants that had opened and uh, they were getting policed by the public uh, and people calling the police. They're not following guidelines or what we think are the guidelines. Now the police went out and they said, no, they're, they're following the guidelines that they need to. But yeah, that's the next wave of, of people policing each other. And I think for the most part, I mean, there'll be there are some variations to this, but I think for the most part, people understand that, OK, we're trying to get the economy going back again. The worst thing that we can do is just go back out and gather in large groupings and have uh, this thing come back full force. And so I think most people are following guidelines, but as, as businesses, restaurants, I mean, it's going to be tough to, to reopen and make sure your tables are six feet apart and that you're following all those guidelines. In your opinion, a few seconds, a few minutes we got left here, let me ask you this. Are we making progress? Can you sense the people you're talking to that there's an optimistic 
mindset that we're headed out of this pandemic? Yeah, as far as progress, I I'm, I don't know. Um, I do know that uh, optimism is most people that I speak with are very optimistic about getting back to work. They know that it's going to be tough. They know that there's not going to be a switch just turned on and all of a sudden things are back to normal. Um, they know that, but optimism is reigning right now. I, I hear people all the time talk my business. I, I'm, I'm looking for, we've figured out new ways to do things. We're going to be more innovative in this world. We're going to do different things. And so I think optimism is, is, is key. Wow, you've been listening to Shannon Dyson. Of course, he's with Shoemaker Insurance Solutions, and good to have you on the program, Shannon. Thanks for having me, Jim. You know, we've been talking about COVID-19. I want to remind you that you can go to our Facebook page. There's a complete care plan that David Rochester and Rob Clement talked about earlier in the program, the complete care plan. For those of you that may find yourself as a caregiver, also we're going to paste some information for you, post some information on our Facebook page about some of the needs. If you're looking for that legacy drawer that Rob Clement talked about, we'll put something there also. That's on our Facebook page at Shoemaker Financial. Thanks again, boy. I just appreciate you guys for being a part of the program. You've been listening to Talk Money on the Mighty 990, KWAM FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guests have been, as I just mentioned, Rob Clement, David Rochester, and the infamous Shannon Dyson who's here on a regular basis talking about COVID-19. If you have additional questions and would like to talk to these guys personally, you can give them a call at 901-757-5757 or 1-800-757-1059. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. Thanks for being a part of our Saturday 10 o'clock. If you have questions or topics and you'd like to hear them on the program, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney, shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's programs on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Dollar